Book Two, Chapter Eight of the Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book Two: The Arrival, Chapter Eight. Firmness is discovered in a gentle heart. On that evening, the interior of Bloom's End, though cosy and comfortable had been rather silent. Clem Yobright was not at home. Since the Christmas party he had gone on a few days' visit to a friend about ten miles off. The shadowy form seen by Venn to part from Wildeve in the porch, and quickly withdraw into the house, was Thomason's. On entering, she threw down a cloak which had been carelessly wrapped round her, and came forward to the light, where Mrs. Yobright sat at her work-table, drawn up within the saddle, so that part of it projected into the chimney-corner. "'I don't like your going out after dark alone, Tamsin,' said her aunt quietly, without looking up from her work. "'I have only been just outside the door.' "'Well?' inquired Mrs. Yobright, struck by a change in the tone of Thomason's voice, and observing her. Thomason's cheek was flushed to a pitch far beyond that which it had reached before her troubles, and her eyes glittered. It was he who knocked, she said. I thought as much. He wishes the marriage to be at once. Indeed, what? Is he anxious? Mrs. Yobright directed a searching look upon her niece. Why did not Mr. Wildeve come in? He did not wish to. You are not friends with him, he says. He would like the wedding to be the day after tomorrow, quite privately, at the church of his parish, not at ours. Oh, and what did you say? I agreed to it, Thomason answered firmly. I am a practical woman now. I don't believe in hearts at all. I would marry him under any circumstances since, since Clem's letter. A letter was lying on Mrs. Yobright's work-basket, and at Thomason's words her aunt reopened it and silently read for the tenth time that day. What is the meaning of this silly story that people are circulating about Thomason and Mr. Wildeve? I should call such a scandal humiliating if there were the least chance of its being true. How could such a gross falsehood have arisen? It is said that one should go abroad to hear news of home, and I appear to have done it. Of course I contradict the tale everywhere, but it is very vexing, and I wonder how it could have originated. It is too ridiculous that such a girl as Thomason should so mortify us as to get jilted on the wedding day. What has she done? Yes, Mrs. Yobright said sadly, putting down the letter. If you think you can marry him, do so, and since Mr. Wildy wishes it to be unceremonious, let it be that too. I can do nothing. It is all in your own hands now. My power over your welfare came to an end when you left this house to go with him to Anglebury. She continued, half in bitterness. I may almost ask, why do you consult me in the matter at all? If you had gone and married him without saying a word to me, I could hardly have been angry, simply because, poor girl, you can't do a better thing. Don't say that and dishearten me. You are right. I will not. I do not plead for him, aunt. Human nature is weak, and I am not a blind woman to insist that he is perfect. I did think so, but I don't now. But I know my cause, and you know that I know it. I hope for the best. And so do I, and we will both continue to, said Mrs. Yobright, rising and kissing her. Then the wedding, if it comes off, will be on the morning of the very day Clem comes home. 
Yes, I decided that it ought to be over before he came. After that you can look him in the face, and so can I. Our concealments will matter nothing. Mrs. Yobright moved her head in thoughtful assent, and presently said, Do you wish me to give you away? I am willing to undertake that, you know, if you wish, as I was last time. After once forbidding the bands, I think I can do no less. I don't think I will ask you to come said Thomason reluctantly, but with decision. It would be unpleasant, I am almost sure. Better let there be only strangers present, and none of my relations at all. I would rather have it so. I do not wish to do anything which may touch your credit, and I feel that I should be uncomfortable if you were there, after what has passed. I am only your niece, and there is no necessity why you should concern yourself more about me. Well... He has beaten us, her aunt said. It really seems as if he had been playing with you in this way, in revenge for my humbling him, as I did by standing up against him at first. Oh, no, aunt, murmured Thomason. They said no more on the subject then. Diggory Venn's knock came soon after, and Mrs. Yobright, on returning from her interview with him in the porch, carelessly observed, Another lover has come to ask for you. No? Yes, that queer young man, Venn. Asks to pay his addresses to me? Yes, and I told him he was too late. Thomason looked silently into the candle flame. Poor Diggory, she said, and then aroused herself to other things. The next day was passed in mere mechanical deeds of preparation, both the women being anxious to immerse themselves in these to escape the emotional aspect of the situation. Some wearing apparel and other articles were collected anew for Thomason, and remarks on domestic details were frequently made, so as to obscure any inner misgivings about her future as Wildeve's wife. The appointed morning came. The arrangement with Wildeve was that he should meet her at the church to guard against any unpleasant curiosity which might have affected them had they been seen walking off together in the usual country way. Aunt and niece stood together in the bedroom where the bride was dressing. The sun, where it could catch it, made a mirror of Thomason's hair, which she always wore braided. It was braided according to a calendar system. The more important the day, the more numerous the strands in the braid. On ordinary working days she braided it in threes, on ordinary Sundays in fours, at maypolings, gypsyings, and the like she braided it in fives. Years ago she had said that when she married she would braid it in sevens, she had braided it in sevens to-day. "'I have been thinking that I will wear my blue silk after all,' she said. "'It is my wedding day, even though there may be something sad about the time. I mean,' she added, anxious to correct any wrong impression, "'not sad in itself, but in its having had great disappointment and trouble before it.' Mrs. Yobright breathed in a way that might have been called a sigh. "'I almost wish Clym had been at home.' she said. Of course, you chose the time because of his absence. Partly. I have felt that I acted unfairly to him in not telling him all, but as it was done not to grieve him, I thought I would carry out the plan to its end, and tell the whole story when the sky was clear. You are a practical little woman, said Mrs. Yobright, smiling. I wish you and he— No, I don't wish anything. There, it is nine o'clock. She interrupted, hearing a whiz and a dinging downstairs. 
I told Damon I would live at nine, said Thomason, hastening out of the room. Her aunt followed. When Thomason was going up the little walk from the door to the wicket gate, Mrs. Yobright looked reluctantly at her and said, It is a shame to let you go alone. It is necessary, said Thomason. At any rate, added her aunt with forced cheerfulness, I shall call upon you this afternoon and bring the cake with me. If Clim has returned by that time, he will perhaps come too. I wish to show Mr. Wildeve that I bear him no ill will. Let the past be forgotten. Well, God bless you. There. I don't believe in old superstitions, but I'll do it. She threw a slipper at the retreating figure of the girl, who turned, smiled, and went on again. A few steps further, and she looked back. Did you call me, aunt? She tremulously inquired. Good-bye. Moved by an uncontrollable feeling as she looked upon Mrs. Yobright's worn, wet face, she ran back when her aunt came forward, and they met again. "'Oh, Tamsie,' said the elder, weeping, "'I don't like to let you go.' "'I—I I am—' Thomason began, giving way likewise. But, quelling her grief, she said, "'Good-bye,' again, and went on. Then Mrs. Yobright saw a little figure wending its way between the scratching firs bushes and diminishing far up the valley, a pale blue spot in a vast field of neutral brown, solitary and undefended, except by the power of her own hope. But the worst feature in the case was one which did not appear in the landscape. It was the man. The hour chosen for the ceremony by Thomason and Wild Eve had been so timed as to enable her to escape the awkwardness of meeting her cousin, Klim, who was returning the same morning. To own to the partial truth of what he had heard would be distressing as long as the humiliating position resulting from the event was unimproved. It was only after the second and successful journey to the altar that she could lift up her head and prove the failure of the first attempts a pure accident. She had not been gone from Bloom's End more than half an hour when Yobright came by the meads from the other direction and entered the house. "'I had an early breakfast,' he said to his mother after greeting her. "'Now I could eat a little more.' They sat down to the repeated meal, and he went on in a low, anxious voice, apparently imagining that Thomason had not yet come downstairs. "'What's this I have heard about Thomason and Mr. Wildeave?' "'It is true in many points.' said Mrs. Yobright quietly. But it is all right now, I hope. She looked at the clock. True. Thomason is gone to him today. Clem pushed away his breakfast. Then there is a scandal of some sort, and that's what's the matter with Thomason. Was it this that made her ill? Yes, not a scandal, a misfortune. I will tell you all about it, Clem. You must not be angry, but you must listen, and you'll find that what we have done has been done for the best. She then told him the circumstances. All that he had known of the affair before he returned from Paris was that there had existed an attachment between Thomason and Wildeve, which his mother had at first discountenanced, but had since, owing to the arguments of Thomason, looked upon in a little more favourable light. When she, therefore, proceeded to explain all, he was greatly surprised and troubled and she determined that the wedding should be over before you came back, said Mrs. Yobright, that there might be no chance of her meeting you and having a very painful time of it. 
that's why she has gone to him they have arranged to be married this morning but i can't understand it said your bride rising tis so unlike her i can see why you did not write to me after her unfortunate return home but why didn't you let me know when the wedding was going to be the first time well i felt vexed with her just then she seemed to me to be obstinate and when i found that you were nothing in her mind i vowed that she might be nothing in yours i felt that she was only my niece after all i told her she might marry but that i should take no interest in it and should not bother you about it either it wouldn't have been bothering me mother you did wrong i thought it might disturb you in your business and that you might throw up your situation or injure your prospects in some way because of it so i said nothing of course if they had married at the time in a proper manner i should have told you at once tamsin actually being married while we are sitting here yes unless some accident happens again as it did the first time it may considering he's the same man yes and i believe it will was it right to let her go suppose wildleave is really a bad fellow then he won't come and she'll come home again you should have looked more into it it is useless to say that his mother answered with an impatient look of sorrow you don't know how bad it has been here with us all these weeks clem you don't know what a mortification anything of that sort is to a woman you don't know the sleepless nights we've had in this house and the almost bitter words that have passed between us since the fifth of november i hope never to pass seven such weeks again tamsin has not gone outside the door and i have been ashamed to look anybody in the face and now you blame me for letting her do the only thing that can be done to set that trouble straight no he said slowly upon the whole i don't blame you but just consider how sudden it seems to me here was i knowing nothing and then i am told all at once that tamsie is gone to be married well i suppose there was nothing better to do do you know mother he continued after a moment or two looking suddenly interested in his own past history i once thought of tamsin as a sweetheart yes i did how odd boys are and when i came home and saw her this time she seemed so much more affectionate than usual that i was quite reminded of those days particularly on the night of the party when she was unwell we had the party just the same was that not rather cruel to her it made no difference i had arranged to give one and it was not worth while to make more gloom than necessary to begin by shutting ourselves up and telling you of tamsin's misfortune would have been a poor sort of welcome clem remained thinking i almost wish you had not had that party he said and for other reasons but i will tell you in a day or two we must think of tamsin now they lapsed into silence i'll tell you what said your bright again in a tone which showed some slumbering feeling still i don't think it kind to tamsin to let her be married like this and neither of us there to keep up her spirits and care a bit about her she hasn't disgraced herself or done anything to deserve that it is bad enough that the wedding should be so hurried and unceremonious without our keeping away from it in addition upon my soul it's almost a shame i'll go it is over by this time said his mother with a sigh unless they were late or he then i should be soon enough to see them come out i don't quite like your keeping me in ignorance mother after all really i half hope he has failed to meet her and ruined her character nonsense that wouldn't ruin thomason he took up his hat and hastily left the house mrs yobright looked rather unhappy and sat still deep in thought but she was not long left alone 
A few minutes later Klim came back again, and in his company came Diggory Venn. "'I find there isn't time for me to get there,' said Klim. "'Is she married?' Mrs. Yobright inquired, turning to the reddle man a face in which a strange strife of wishes for and against was apparent. "'She is, ma'am.' Venn bowed. "'How strange it sounds,' murmured Klim. "'And he didn't disappoint her this time,' said Mrs. Yobright. He did not, and there is now no slight on her name. I was hastening a thought to tell you at once, as I saw you were not there. How came you to be there? How did you know it? She asked. I have been in that neighborhood for some time, and saw them go in, said the Reddleman. Wild Eve came up to the door, punctual as the clock. I didn't expect it of him. He did not add, as he might have added, that how he came to be in that neighborhood was not by accident, that, since Wildeve's resumption of his right to Thomason, then, with the thoroughness which was part of his character, had determined to see the end of the episode. Who was there? said Mrs. Yobright. Nobody, hardly. I stood right out of the way, and she did not see me. The Reddleman spoke huskily, and looked into the garden. Who gave her away? Miss Fye. How very remarkable. Miss Fye? It is to be considered an honour, I suppose. Who's Miss Fye? said Klim. Captain Vye's granddaughter, of Mistover Knapp. A proud girl from Budmouth, said Mrs. Yobright. One not much to my liking. People say she's a witch. But of course that's absurd. The Reddleman kept to himself his acquaintance with that fair personage, and also that Eustatian was there because he went to fetch her, in accordance with a promise he had given as soon as he learnt that the marriage was to take place. He merely said, in continuation of the story, I was sitting on the churchyard wall when they came in, one from one way, the other from the other and Miss Fye was walking thereabouts, looking at the headstones. As soon as they had gone in, I went to the door, feeling I should like to see it, as I knew her so well. I pulled off my boots because they were so noisy, and went up into the gallery. I saw then that the parson and clerk were already there. How came Miss Fye to have anything to do with it, if she was only on a walk that way? Because there was nobody else. She had gone into the church just before me, not into the gallery. The parson looked round before beginning, and as she was the only one near, he beckoned to her, and she went up to the rails. After that, when it came to signing the book, she pushed up her veil and signed, and Tamsin seemed to thank her for her kindness. The Reddleman told the tale thoughtfully, for there lingered upon his vision the changing color of Wild Eve when Eustatia lifted the thick veil which had concealed her from recognition and looked calmly into his face. And then, said Diggory sadly, I came away. For her history as Tamsin Yobright was over. I offered to go, 
said Mrs. Yobright regretfully. But she said it was not necessary. Well, it is no matter, said the riddleman. The thing is done at last, as it was meant to be at first. And God send her happiness. Now, I'll wish you good morning. He placed his cap on his head and went out. From that instant of leaving Mrs. Yobright's door, the Reddleman was seen no more in or about Egdon Heath for a space of many months. He vanished entirely. The nook among the brambles where his van had been standing was as vacant as ever the next morning, and scarcely a sign remained to show that he had been there, excepting a few straws and a little redness on the turf, which was washed away by the next storm of rain. The report that Diggory had brought of the wedding, correct as far as it went, was deficient in one significant particular, which had escaped him through his being at some distance back in the church. When Thomason was tremblingly engaged in signing her name, Wildeve had flung towards Eustatia a glance that said plainly, I have punished you now. She had replied in a low tone, and he little thought how truly. You mistake. It gives me sincerest pleasure to see her your wife today. End of Book Two, Chapter Eight. End of Book Two.